Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a new podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Alan Tolhurst, and as the race to replace Boris Johnson heats up, I'm joined by political editor Adam Payne to discuss the Tory leadership contest so far. We're also joined by Foreign Office Minister Raymond Chisty for an exclusive chat about his early tilt at the Tory leadership. So Adam, as we speak now on, on Thursday morning, there are six candidates left in the race to become the next Conservative leader and, and therefore to become Prime Minister. We had the first round of voting on, on Wednesday. Uh, we saw uh, Jeremy Hunt and Nadim Zahawi both knocked out. Uh, just run us through who the sort of six candidates we are left and kind of where running order went in terms of who got the most votes. Yeah, so we, we are sat here on Thursday morning and yesterday, Wednesday, we had that first round of voting and the six candidates who are still In the contest, we have Rishi Sunak, who secured the most MP nominations. We have Penny Mordaunt in second, followed by Liz Truss, then Kemi Badenoch, then Tom Tugendhat, who Raymond is supporting, and we'll talk about his candidacy shortly. And finally, we have Suella Braverman. That's your six, Alain. Interesting. And so that that field has already whittled down from, from where it was a week ago when Boris Johnson announced he was going to step down. We had a number of people coming out. And by Sunday night, we had 11 people declared. The 11th was sat opposite us now, Raymond Chisty. So, Raymond, what um, made you make the decision to, to jump in? What, what was the moment that made you decide, right, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and, and, and try and go for this now? I think for me, it was um, when you looked at the situation unfolding. And as the situation unfolded, it was unfolding very quickly. Nobody would have thought the Prime Minister would be in the position he was in. Mm. And then the question was, we're now definitely going to have a transition because the Prime Minister is stepping down. Then there was a responsibility for each and every Conservative member of Parliament to ask themselves the question, what direction of the party do we want to see as we move forward? What skills do we have that we can put forward to serve our great country? And to be honest with you, I, I have to say there may be some colleagues out there or candidates who may have been planning this for years or months or weeks. I never did that. So when I looked at it last week on the Thursday and you thought, you know what, do I think I have the skills that I could offer to serve our party and our great country as we move forward with 12 years in Parliament, four elections that you have won, and your desire to serve our country with an aspirational Conservative approach with fresh ideas, fresh team, and on a merits-based system. So I thought, you know what, why not? (laughs) Rim, we spoke on Friday morning, and yeah. that feels about 14 years ago now, but uh, <laughs> we spoke on Friday morning when you said you were considering it, and then I believe it was Sunday yeah. night when you tweeted, you confirmed. Can you sort of walk us through those three days, what happened in those three days, what led you from the position of considering going for the job to then deciding, yep, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring? I think, Adam, to be honest with you, when you looked at it, and you thought the various different individuals that were putting themselves forward. And I have immense respect for all the candidates that are putting themselves forward because it takes a lot of courage and takes a lot of guts and, you know, and you've got to set your vision. And I have a huge amount of respect for them and the parliamentary party. And you ask yourself the question this, look, I've been here for 12 years winning four elections from the most marginal seat in Gillingham, 15 votes in 2010 to 15,000. Do I think I have skills that I can offer our party and our country as we move forward? And I saw the different names emerging and I thought, do you know what? I do think I've got the skills which I can offer our party and our country. However, 
I want to go back to the people who elected me as their member of parliament. So over the weekend, I spoke to my constituents. I did a street surgery on Sunday in, in Hempstead. And, uh, and I asked my constituents, I said, look, our country's going through a transition. You know, would you like your member of parliament to put himself forward? And you've seen your member of parliament for 12 years. And they said to me, yes. And so as I went through the constituency, as I reflected on what was required, and this is the key thing for me, what is required as we move forward now, the Conservative Party has been in government now 12 years. By the next election, we've been in government for 14 years. And so as we move forward, we need to put forward fresh ideas, fresh people and a fresh start. And for me, it was how do we do that? What is our vision? And it was with my background as somebody who comes from a very modest background, came at the age of six, didn't speak a word of English, first in the family off to university, to be a young lawyer, then elected department 31. And for the t past 12 years, and I have to be completely frank, do many people know me around the country? And the answer is no. But is that down to me? The answer is not necessarily, because I don't decide whether I'm a, a minister or not a minister. That's up to David Cameron or Theresa May or Boris Johnson. My job as a parliamentarian was to step up every day, do my job and come up with creative ideas. And that was a private members' bills on mental health, animal welfare, or submissions on foreign policy and defence and security review. So putting creative ideas forward. So I think, look, taking all that into account, with the vision I set, I thought, why not? Had you received any encouragement from colleagues, from MPs? To I did. When I um, put my vision forward, and at the heart of my vision, and I have to say this to you, Adam, and I say this to you as well, Adam, for me, there's one thing which overrides everything, and that is national interest. Our national interest in the United Kingdom is best served if we have the brightest and the best people serving at every level in our country. And that was my vision to my colleagues. I said, look, you've got somebody here who's um, been here for 12 years. You've worked with him on creative ideas. And my commitment to putting forward a vision based on the brightest, the best, looking at creative ideas and a fresh start as we move forward. Is that something you can relate to? And a lot of them said it most certainly is. But the challenge I had, and a lot of my colleagues had already been approached by others as well. And therefore, I'm an honest politician. I don't want them to then say, well, actually, you know, we want to look at changing that. If they've already committed, they should stick by who they've committed to. So I think within the two days I had... I gave it all. Yeah. I'm grateful to the media for giving me a chance to put my case forward. Yeah, because oh, unfortunately, you know, when it got to the, the the nominations closing, you obviously, you didn't make the 20, you didn't have any publicly declared backers. In a sense, do you regret that you, you weren't able to get more? And you, you say you weren't known hugely before this. Are you a bit worried that maybe you're going to be remembered as the guy who threw his hat in the ring and then couldn't get any support behind him to go for it? You know? I think, Adam, or hopefully I would have uh, been remembered by is somebody who has um, self-belief, and somebody who has the courage to stick by their conviction and put themselves forward. If you think you have what it takes and you have something to offer, then you have to put yourself forward mm. and you have to have a vision and let others judge, is it the right vision? Do I think the vision I put forward is the right vision about a merits-based system, about creative ideas, fresh start? The answer is yes, because I think that's in our national interest. And I think it's what we need as we move forward in our country. So I think, how will people judge me? You know what? I let them decide that. I would like to think, when I go to my students in Gillingham and Raynham, to yeah. say, if you believe in something, have the courage to stand for it. And then whatever scrutiny you, uh, it comes your way, do it. And I think after I put my vision and a narrative, I think as the media now, I did all the media interviews. Yeah, yeah. So people could ask me what they wanted. Yeah. Stand by your conviction. Just finally, Roman, on your candidacy, before perhaps we talk about sure. your support for Tom, 
one of the essential characteristics of a Tory leadership contest is they move very quickly, at least yeah. the first part. I mean, it was just over a week ago. No, it was a week ago the PM yeah. announced his plan to resign and now we're down to half a dozen candidates already. Do you think if you'd had more time, if you'd had a few weeks rather than a few days to cultivate some support to build your campaign do you think he would have convinced some MPs to be public backers most certainly and do you know why I say most certainly being completely frank and honest with you is after my leadership I've had lots and lots of MPs coming up to me you know saying look really respect you know what you did and what you put forward and so I think on that basis you know if I had more time to be able to put that vision forward with the resources then the answer is most certainly I think we may be in a different position being as realistic as I possibly can so the answer to what I would say to you on that is is this for me I was the candidate I was the campaign manager so when I was speaking to journalists they said hey who's your campaign manager <laughs> I said, uh, just take my mobile number and they know that. Contact me. And and so with little resource, two days to go, getting a narrative, which we said, fresh start, fresh people, fresh ideas, a merits-based system, aspirational conservatism, which is what I what is my background and what I believe in. Getting that out there, I think, was absolutely crucial. And we did that in a very short space of time. So in the time that I had with the, the little resource, I think we did everything we possibly can. And what I would say is in answering you, Adam, is if I had more time, could that have been different? Most certainly. Well, you know, is that a hint that maybe, you know, you might run again? You know, if there's, if this it appears to be a sort of a triennial contest to lead the Conservative Party. You know, if you, you look at someone like Rishi Sunak, who has got a big team already in place and has clearly been getting a lot of nominations, has had a lot of nominations in the bag for a while. If the, uh, as to use a Boris Johnson phrase, if the ball came back loose at the back of the scrum, would you would you rule out another, another go at it in a few years' time? Adam, what I said to you before is national interest for me is paramount. You know, you do everything you can to serve your country. And I think, you know, I could best do that by serving whoever the next leader of our party is to take our country forward. And that's what I'm focused on, because I know, you know, we have a conservative government and it is a conservative government, you know, which delivers for the country when it comes to jobs, economy and security. And speaking of that next leader, obviously, you said that you're now going to support Tom Tugendhat. He got through to that second round of the voting, but obviously he's he's quite far behind some of the other people, certainly, certainly someone like Rishi Sunak, who's perhaps taking some of those votes from that sort of section of the party. You know, what do you think that he needs to do to try and scoop up some of those votes? Obviously, we had about 40 or so people who voted for the candidates who've now dropped out. So those votes are there to be picked up. You know, what do you think he's got to do to convince them before three o'clock today when we find out who's through the next round of the voting to try and to try and keep going and stay in the race? Well, look, I think with regards to Tom, I know Tom, you know, as a fellow Kent MP, and I chair the Kent MP, so I get to see all the Kent MPs. I think what Tom needs to do is to continue to share his vision, you know, with parliamentary colleagues. His vision is a great vision with regards to a clean start, and it tied into the campaign I was running for a fresh start for our country with uh, fresh ideas and a merits-based system. And I think that vision resonates and connects with colleagues across the Conservative Party. And also, I think he himself as an individual is somebody people have immense respect for because when you come into Parliament, people look at what did you do before you came to Parliament? Yeah. And I think his experience in the armed forces and the way he's chaired the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, Tom has a brilliant vision and I think his personal character, you know, would be, uh, would be a real asset to him. He doesn't have any ministerial experience. Do you think that you launched your bid as sort of an outsider in, in the race who's not been in the cabinet, neither as, as, as Tom Tugendhat. Do you think that that's going to be important? A lot of people are thinking that, you know, in the sort of current climate that we've got, we need someone who's got a lot of a lot of the candidates who are currently in the cabinet are really relying on the fact that they've got that experience of being around the table, dealing with crises. You know, Tom hasn't 
necessarily done that. You know, he's, like you say, he's chaired a, a high-profile committee, but he's not had that experience. But do you think that actually that's kind of what you think what members are looking for? You've been in power for 12 years. Do you think someone now who perhaps offers what the freshest start you could possibly have for a, for a party that's been in power for so long? Yeah, and what I would say is what people would want is somebody who has the judgment and somebody who has a vision and somebody who has courage. And also, what has the individual done and how have they demonstrated their skills in their time in Parliament? And I think in the time that Tom has in Parliament, I would say the way he's chaired the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, where he's been firm, fair, impartial, and somebody who's shown courage to call out what needs to be called out. Mm. I think parliamentarians, when they look at, you know, what are the skills that you need in a future leader of the party? You know, and what are the skills that you need in a future prime minister? I think when it comes to courage, when it comes to having a vision, and when it comes to being resilient in the work that he did in the armed forces, Tom is somebody who I think will be amazing leading our great country as we move on into the next stage mm. with a fresh start. Raymond, we're only a few days into this contest, long way to go, and there had been calls from candidates and hope that it would be a clean contest fought in a good spirit, but already we've had some pretty aggressive briefing this morning, there was a lot of briefing around Penny Morden after her launch yesterday, which impressed a lot of people. Are you, have you been disappointed by the tone of the contest? Um, I don't know what I would say is in life, in my 12 years in Parliament, across the board with uh, the members of the opposition and also with the Conservative Party, I've always acted in civility and respect. So when I was pushing the counter-narrative dash campaign, you know, to get the government to use the right terminology to address and defeat the poison narrative of uh, the so-called Islamic State, over 180 members of Parliament and Lords with me, because we're working on a bipartisan basis. For the Conservative Party, as we move forward, we have to realise it's that the the common enemy it's, it is the opposition sitting on the other side, which would lead to more borrowing, more spending, more debt, and the destruction of our country's economic uh, situation. And so I think what we have to realise is have the firmest possible debate you possibly can with civility and respect because at the end of the day we have to come together and fight as a team and I know when we fight as a team as a Conservative Party we have an amazing future ahead. Just finally then you obviously were brought into government as a Foreign Office Minister last week where do you kind of see you know your future now do you want to stay in that role in government do you, obviously Tom Tugendhat becomes you know Prime Minister would you want to stay in the the Foreign Office, you know, where do you kind of see that future? Because obviously, you know, this this government that's going to be in place for a few weeks is kind of being seen as sort of a bit of a zombie government until Boris Johnson steps down. Where do you kind of see your, your future then, you know, given given what's going on at the moment? Well, what I would say is um, I joined politics because I wanted to serve. I was a young lawyer doing criminal legal aid. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was about you have to believe in what you did. So I came into Parliament at 31, 12 years in, and um, every time I was asked to step up to the plate and serve my country at whatever level, I did. So when I was a trade envoy to covering, covering Pakistan, within one year, we increased trade by 10%, bilateral trade, and we then worked together to get BA to fly back to the country. And when it came to being the Prime Minister's Special Envoy for Religious Freedom, I had to take forward the Truro Report, where, which had 22 recommendations. Within one year, we took forward 17, secured an international ministerial conference, which took place last week, joined a 26-member alliance. And for me, because I tell you why it was, we were able to deliver that. Because I then... It sounds very much like a pitch. No, 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 no it's, not, it's, not, it's not. It's linked, no, it's linked to what I stood for earlier. And the reason I was able to deliver that, I appointed four people to my advisory board. One was Sir Mark Lyle Grant, one was a former bishop, one was a professor from, um, from Bristol, and the other one's now the incoming UN Special Envoy for Religious Freedom. And it was based on a merits 
based system. So for me, and I'm a former lawyer, I would love to serve my country in whatever capacity that I can to to help take our country forward. But but do you think as part of this fresh start, clean start, that has to involve whoever the prime minister is, it has to involve a cabinet with fresh faces, new talent. Absolutely. My campaign, Adam, you're absolutely right. I said it had to be fresh ideas, fresh people. And, and therefore, that means we don't have the same old, same old. And I tell you what, this is where politics is completely wrong. You know, across the house, where it's completely wrong. People that get appointed as to who you back for leadership. You know, people get appointed with regards to which, you know, campaign signs you are on Brexit. For God's sake, the national interest is about getting the brightest and the best and making the best possible decisions. So let's put all that to one side. A fresh start as we move forward with um one common theme at the heart of it you know everyone i know who enters parliament wants to serve but when you look at you know bringing people into government one criteria the brightest and the best across the board is for me the fundamental criteria which is what was at the heart of my campaign which i led and we do that i know our country can go from success to success because we have amazing talent in the conservative party across the board so just one final thing then if if you were to give any advice to anyone who's thinking of, of standing again what do you kind of learn in your in your few days what's the kind of one bit of advice you'd give to people about running for leader i would say it's if you believe in yourself then go for it then that because i think at the end of self-belief Courage. If somebody says you can't do it, it means you can do it. And I think courage for me would be the one word which I would say to to one out there and be and also be truthful to yourself. If you feel you, you you know you have skills to offer, and then go for it because at the end of the day, it's you don't want to look back and think if only I had. And I give you a, a small example to that. About two and a half years ago, I was at the um, Royal Engineers mass uh, event in the in the Medway Towns, and I was asked if I would uh, step up and serve my country as a reserves in the army. To be honest with you, at 41, around 41, I'd never thought about it. But suddenly you get asked, and you thought, if I have skills which I could offer to my country at that point, then um, you did. You put yourself forward. So it comes to anything in life if you think you know there's something you can offer go for it the leadership battle has started but what impact does that have on the day-to-day running of government and what do you need to know to engage with the new incoming cabinet if you have unanswered questions dodd's training has created a tailored course to help you navigate the new political landscape you can find out all the details by visiting the open courses section on dodds-training.com I'm back now with uh, our political editor, Adam Payne, and as we lead up into the the second ballot of, of Tory MPs to decide their new leader, after the first vote last night, which of the campaigns do you think will be happiest? Obviously, Rishi Sunak finished top, but I think there was a feeling perhaps that he was going to really kind of pick up a huge amount of support and be kind of far and away the kind of the front runner. But if you compare with perhaps with 2016 and 2019, you know, he's not got that kind of huge lead that the people that uh, Theresa May in 2016 and Boris Johnson had in 2019. So do you think the most pleased will probably be Penny Morden in second place? I'd agree with that. You're right about Rishi Sunak. He is the front runner with the parliamentary party. But as you note, in 2016, Theresa May, I think, had almost almost double. And that was with a smaller Conservative Party, of course. I think Penny Mordaunt will be the happiest. Her launch was in an incredibly sweaty room in Westminster on Wednesday morning. Is there any other kind of room? Uh, exactly. <laughs> I can't remember the last room I went in where my human rights were breached in somewhere. But her launch w- was received well. Yeah. People thought she got the tone well. She included some reasonably eye-catching policies. She handled questions from the media fairly well and took you know, more questions than some other c- candidates have agreed to take. And look, she went into this contest 
relatively inexperienced, as we addressed with uh, Roman in our discussion just now, an outsider. Yeah. With very little public recognition. And now when you look at polling of Conservative Party members we've had in the last few days, if she does make it to the final two, she's on course to be the next prime minister. I think the next few days, what we're looking at is a battle between Penny Morden and Liz Truss to finish second place, to yeah. get in that final two. Because right now it looks like Rishi Sunak. Yeah. Well, we, we, we've already seen a kind of a, an anti-Sunak kind of stop Rishi campaign from those on the right and also from people who are still loyal to Boris Johnson who think that he helped force Johnson out from, from government. Do you think that we'll start to see kind of anti-Penny Mordaunt campaign brewing. We saw Lord Frost this morning being critical of her uh, out on the media. Do you think that's what we're going to see? There was a kind of pledges. I think Penny herself was pledging to have a sort of clean campaign. Doesn't seem as though it's going to be that way. Do you think we're going to carry on seeing these kind of negative briefings towards her? Absolutely. And we've seen, as you've observed, we've seen it already this morning on Thursday morning. We've had Lord Frost come out and say that in, in his view that he asked the PM, the now outgoing PM, Boris Johnson, to remove Penny from the Brexit negotiating team because she wasn't up to it. Right. And that he's surprised that she's at this position she's in right now. And Simon Clark, a backer of Liz Truss, a fairly senior MP is in, 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 in the cabinet, of course, he tweeted that this, this is an important message from Lord Frost to paraphrase because we need a prime minister who isn't untested, right? who does have the experience to lead the country, which is an important and, and time. And Liz, Liz Truss is definitely pushing that idea that, that she's obviously served, she's got the most experience of, of cabinet experience of any of the people in the race. She's obviously been around in various prime minister's cabinets for a long time in different roles. And that's definitely, she's she's going to push as she tries to pick up, as you noted with those scores earlier, you know, we've got Kemi Badnock also on the right Liz Trust to get into second place is going to have to scoop up a lot of those votes. And I think there's, there's talk about her becoming the sort of the Unite the Right candidate. She's going to have to work hard to win those people over. And I think part of that is probably kind of showing that she has better Brexit credentials perhaps than, than, than Penny Morden. That's true. And we discussed it a few minutes ago, but second preferences could be very important. And obviously we, we lost Nadim Zahawi and Jeremy Hunt from the race last night. Jeremy Hunt has already publicly endorsed... Rishi Sunak, but that doesn't by any means guarantee that Jamie Hunt's supporters yeah, are going to follow Yeah, all him. 17 of his other supporters. And yeah. if you're, if you're and in... And Nadeem Zahawi, uh, 25 people backed him yesterday. That is a sizable chunk that could get one person pushed forward into the next round or, or jumping above someone, right? Absolutely. And if you're an MP who has backed Jamie Hunt, has backed Nadeem Zahawi, let's say, for the sake of argument, you broadly fall into the One Nation caucus... If you're thinking about where you're going to place your vote, you might be looking at Liz Truss and looking at Jacob Rees-Mogg and looking at Nadine Doris and looking at the fact that there's talk of her being the candidate of the right yeah. and thinking, mm, I don't really want anything to do with this. Penny Morden is more palatable. But Liz Truss, I believe, is delivering her official launch speech. She's she's doing her event as we speak yeah. here. And she's, let's be honest, she's under some pressure yeah, now yeah. after Penny Mordaunt's yeah, she, she was only she, she's only ten. She she got fifty votes, only ten higher than Kemi Badnock, who was seen as a proper kind of outsider candidate. And she, you know, Truss had been expected, given the fact that alongside Rishi Sunak had had the most kind of long running campaign. Although they would probably deny that they were doing this, but clearly in the background, both Truss and Sunak had been laying the groundwork for this, unlike uh, Raymond, who we spoke to, who made a decision on Sunday, Liz Truss had clearly been putting stuff in place for a long time. So to only get to 50 and be in third place is probably quite a disappointing moment for her. Do you think that she might 
end up falling by the wayside. You know, Kemi Badenoch seems to have quite a lot of momentum. People like Michael Gove backing her. She's getting a lot of sort of positive press that actually, if there is to be sort of a candidate from the right, where actually maybe Kemi might be the one who squeezes out Liz Truss and pushes her down into, into fourth place and Kemi leapfrogs her, do you think, in the next round? It's so difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, one thing is worth noting is that so often in the past, for a candidate like Kemi, who... I think it's fair to say outperform their expectations. I think anyone going into this was expecting Kemi Badenoch to be where she is now. How, how many votes did she, did she get last she night? She got 40. Uh, 40 last night. I mean, ahead of um, Tom Tugendhat mm. slightly. I don't think anyone really expected her to be in this position. Nobody would have expected her to receive the endorsement of Michael Gold. Yeah. But what it does, if you are a candidate like that, who has this surprise performance, which surpassed expectations, you are in a good position to land a cabinet job. Yeah. I'm always reluctant to make predictions, but I, I do still feel that the the, the, the three front runners, the, the trio who are in the title race are Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss and Penny Mordaunt. And I, and I do think the right of the party is going to be a very sort of febrile, active place over the next few hours and days. But I, I do yeah. think ultimately it will be between Liz Truss and Penny Mordaunt mm. for that place in the final to for a summer a summer of hustings yeah let's, let's we... just talk about how you know, how it's going to go from here we've got the second round today and then potentially a series of televised debates although it's not clear at the moment which of the candidates will agree to to any of them if if any of them at all there'll be further hustings within parliament and then the next rounds of voting the start of next week with the idea is to try and get the final two before parliament breaks up for summer recess next thursday a week today you know, what can we expect to see? Where, where can we see the sort of the dividing lines? Taxation was the early kind of issue that all the, the candidates decided they were going to go on. There's not been a great deal of chat about, you know, the major issue that most British people are facing right now, which is the cost of living crisis. Do you think there's going to be more of a clamour for those candidates still in the race to be able to put forward policies to say what they would do differently from the current administration? Obviously, some of them are currently still in cabinet, so it's in a sense quite difficult for them, I suppose. But, you know, what are they going to say on those kind of issues? And where do you think the kind of dividing lines are going to be, given that at the moment they're trying to win over Tory MPs and then eventually Tory members rather than, let's say, the, the wider public in the general election? I'd expect the question of tax will continue to dominate. Yeah. Because it's, as things stand, it's one of the very few dividing lines. I think what's been striking to me up to now is that there's a lot of talk of a fresh start, of needing a reset. But in policy terms, no one's really offering anything dramatically different to current government policy. I mean, even someone like Tom Tugendhat, who he's essentially the One Nation candidate. He's, you know, Stephen Hammond. Damien Green. And Damien Green are, are, are running his campaign. You look at some of the people who are backing him, you'd broadly describe them as sort of moderates, but he has said, I think it was in an interview with the Times at the weekend, I believe it was the Times, that he'd stick with the policy on Rwanda, on small boats, he'd stick yeah. with the current approach of Northern Ireland Protocol. Yeah. So there isn't really, up to now, a sense that there is a clear, a clear break from the current Johnson policy agenda being... Discussed. And also, as, as you said, ultimately, it is Tory party members who will decide the winner and, and the next prime minister. And I'm, I'm sure if you were to survey the Tory members, they are pretty supportive of the Rwanda policy and the current approach to the Northern Ireland Protocol. So that's a very important And they context. want to see tax cuts as well. Yes, absolutely. It wouldn't surprise me, given we're fairly confident Rishi Sunak will be in 
that final two. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we had sort of retrospective questions about COVID policy, about lockdowns, about what happened or perhaps what should have happened. Uh, but the cost of living, Alan, you're absolutely right. I, I think I tweeted something last week about how you look at what's coming later this year, this calendar year, where Russia potentially is going to further reduce gas supplies to Europe. Prices, energy prices are expected to continue rising. And the price cap is expected to go up past £3,000, yeah. which is extraordinary given where it was sort of 18 months ago. A really terrifying economic crisis is coming down the line. To me, that just hasn't been reflected in the discourse so far. We've had lots of discussions about trans people and about whether universities are indoctrinating people. And the which, fact do, that, which, if you poll people, do not exactly uh, go high up on the list yeah. of their top priorities. But I guess, like as you say, again, it comes back to who is your audience? Exactly. These people, these candidates, have to win over Tory party members. Yeah. That's their constituency. And because of that, you had this slightly bizarre situation where you had this this huge crisis waiting for us in, in a few months' time, which is, go is going to pose one of the greatest policy challenges faced by British government in decades, mm. in, in, in decades. But we're having this very insular Tory party political um, yeah. debate. So hopefully when we do get to these... And, questions, it's, and it's going to go on for quite a long time as well. Like, the fact is that the new leader is not going to be in place until September the 5th. Mm. This current government has said they're not going to enact any new policy until then. They're effectively just kind of a caretaker administration. I think for a lot of people looking in, the idea that this kind of internal debate within the Tory party is going to last all across the summer until September before a new administration can come in and start to actually really get their hands on the levers of policy does feel as though, you know, it's it sort of taking a long time to do, to sort things out. And there's been lots of chat about whether, you know, this race should be curtailed, whether it should be shortened. Tom Tugan, that's one of the candidates who said actually that, you know, if you do get to the final two, you have to let it go to the membership. He wants that wider debate. Lots of other candidates have said that as well. They're not going to do deals. Like in 2016, Andrew Ledson dropped out and the, Theresa May was sort of effectively coronated and there was no vote amongst the membership and she came into power very quickly. But it does feel as though, the Tory party wants to see a, a long debate and a discussion about the future of the party. But but can the country really afford to do that? And further to what we talked about just now on cost of living, one reality I think isn't has been underplayed is that whoever wins this contest is going to inherit an absolute nightmare job. Yeah. You've, yeah, got, yeah. you've got the cost of living crisis, which is, is going to worsen this autumn slash winter, the NHS backlog, which you can see now is increasing in salience as an issue. Whoever wins this competition has an almighty challenge as next prime minister, both in terms of the, the policies and the crises facing the country. And then there's lots of talk in this contest, understandably, of who can turn it around for the party in the polls and give them a good shot of beating Labour at the next election. And there's lots of talk of personality and, and character and, and who can do that. It seems to be a competition to see who can mm. say their Labour's worst nightmare Ex the most. Exactly, yeah. but you're looking at what's coming down the line. By that 2024 election, perhaps it won't be about personality and courage. It will just be about issues. Mm. And well, about delivery as well. That's a lot of the people said about Boris Johnson. It was about whether he could deliver. And in the end, I think there was a feeling that he was given that one last chance after the, the votes of confidence and that actually he didn't seem as though he was able to make changes to see that he would go on and deliver and ultimately the, the Pincher affair in concert with that brought him 
down, do you think that the person who wins this race will be the person who has the most kind of comprehensive plan to actually spend these next two years until an election to deliver something? Not necessarily. <laughs> Not necessarily. Um, Maybe I, it should be, but it, but it perhaps won't be, perhaps right? Perhaps it should be, but, you know, I, I think let Penny Mordaunt, if recent polling is correct, is is comfortably the most popular candidate among Tory party members. And if your question was, do you think she needs to back that up with a fully funded long-term plan for the economy in order to sustain that, I don't think I'd say yes. I just think you need to sustain that popularity. Yeah. Another challenge as well facing whoever wins is uniting the Tory party. You've seen in the last few days, it's a bloody, aggressive, ugly campaign. And you have Nadine Doris openly bodying her colleagues on, on on Twitter and like how do you how do you repair lots of lots of briefing about Gavin Williamson as well the sort of perennial Gavin Williamson's a uh, sort of Machiavellian villain briefing and how do you repair that party there's the old saying that divided parties don't win elections mm. well if we're if we're going to give that adage some credence then the next leader has another huge challenge in bringing that party back together yeah it's funny we're sort of talking down the uh, the prospects of winning but it seems that a lot of people actually want to to get on and win so i think we'll probably leave it there as we go into that next vote and we'll pick this up next week when we know who the final two votes are but you can read all the latest on the troy leadership race and the other big stories in westminster at politicshome.com and keep right up to date by subscribing to our seven day a week newsletters by clicking on the link in the top right hand corner of the website Thanks to my colleague Adam Payne and to our fantastic guest Raymond Chisty. Our editor this week was Laura Silver. And thank you all again for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter at Politics Home or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, have a great weekend and be sure to listen again next week. I've been Alan Tolhurst and this has been The Rundown. <laughs>